Strengths Finder, the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, DISC, the Big Five, 360s, all are assessments. Many of those you've heard of, and some of them you've probably used. But how do they all fit together? When and why should you use one and not the other? On this episode, the practical framework you need to determine what assessment tools are right for others and you. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 371. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. And if you are a leader, manager, or any role of influence in your organization, chances are you have either been through an assessment or a survey yourself, or perhaps you have considered utilizing assessments, surveys, or other instruments for your team to help people to understand their strengths, get to know themselves better, to measure engagement in the organization. There's a whole bunch of reasons you may have done this. And yet, I know I struggled with this early in my career, still do to some extent, of really understanding some of the basic and foundational concepts of using some of the assessment tools out there, of understanding the broad brushstrokes of what's available, and being able to ask the right questions. And I'm uh, really excited for today's guest because he's an expert in this area. He's going to help us to get smart about what are the things around using assessments and tools that leaders should know, and also the questions that we should ask when we're engaging the experts in these areas so that we can be most effective in utilizing them well, and of course, most effective for the people we have the privileged influence and our organization. So I'm pleased to welcome Ken Nowak to the show today. He is a licensed psychologist and the president and chief research officer of Invisia Learning. He has over 30 years of experience in the development and validation of human resource systems, assessment tools, organizational climate surveys, questionnaires, simulations, and tests. He has developed 360 feedback systems, assessment centers, employee selection, succession planning, performance appraisal, and management development training programs for a lot of clients in the public and private sectors. And he's also the chief learning officer of organizational performance dimensions and is a member of the Consortium for Research on Emotional Intelligence in Organizations. He's also a lecturer at UCLA's Anderson School of Management. Ken, I am so glad to know you. Welcome to Coaching for Leaders. Thank you, Dave. Privileged to be here today. As I mentioned in the introduction, we're going to do our best to see if we can uh, paint some broad brushstrokes for leaders and thinking about assessments and tools. And I guess that begs the biggest question, the biggest big picture question, which is why utilize assessments and tools at all? What's the reason for uh, even engaging in instruments like this? So one of the reasons that we really are using assessments is that we are inaccurate, uh, most of us, in really identifying what we do well, our signature strengths, and obviously the area of our blind spots where others may have a perspective or an objective test that can give us some data that may illuminate uh, what we could do to sharpen our saw and become a little bit better. One of the things that I really realized after our first conversation was, you know, I certainly have used and know of a lot of the assessments out there, MBTI, DISC, StrengthsFinder over the mm-hmm, years. Mm-hmm. And and yet, I, I feel like I was really ill-equipped to have like an understanding of how all those work or not 
together. What's the big picture look at the field of different assessments and tools and why you'd use them? And so I'm really intrigued by this concept of the three-legged stool that you taught me. I'm wondering if you could give us a sense of what the three legs and the stool are, and then maybe we can do a dive on each one of them to figure out you know, like what would be the right tool in the right situation. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Maybe I'll just walk through each leg and give just a little tidbit. The backdrop, of course, is, again, why would we want to use assessments in coaching, training, consulting? And at the end of the day, one story I'll tell you for, gosh, the last 20 plus years, my wife and I have been doing volunteer work for an absolutely wonderful organization here in Los Angeles. We raise guide dogs for the blind. And um, if you don't know much about the program, you you get a little puppy that you get to name at about eight weeks old. You really are influential to their training, their development, getting them out, obviously, to um, situations that they'll be ready for their professional training. And the hard part is we say goodbye in about 18 months where they get hooked up with, uh, obviously, the professional trainers that are teaching them technical uh, skills to hopefully become the eyes for somebody that's sight impaired or blind. But I use my experience, yeah, in the volunteer work, um, because it is, in fact, the concept that all of us, as I mentioned, are a little blind. We really do need some insight. We need some data. We need some uh, information before we're willing to take a look at making some changes in our, in our life and our habits. So assessments, by and large, are very fruitful for helping an individual, again, have a guide dog to say, here's some information Dave, and let me present it to you. And if our end goal is to help you to become more effective or enhance performance, and the spirit of it is really developmental, you're going to try that on and and hopefully do something long and hard. And the other area of our research, which goes beyond our ability uh, today to talk about it, is we do a lot of research and work in the neuroscience of habit and behavior change. So the point I want to make is that one of the necessary conditions or getting people to do things more or less or different and developing a lasting change, which we call a habit, is the use of insight and reflection that comes out of assessments. So my framework really comes about looking at why are we using assessments? Again, why are we providing a guide dog in coaching and training? And when we do that, it's from a perspective of uh, what the presenting needs are of the client or coachee or the individual we're working with. But by and large, I think about it, what's in our toolkit? And most of us that are coaches or consultants, you know, we'll have one or two or a dozen assessments we've been certified in or interested in. And we tend to use the same ones over and over without much thought, uh, when are these appropriate and when might they work? So the pictorial that I use is this idea of a three-legged stool, three legs holding up uh, the essence of a stool that represents three classes, but these classes of assessment domains or assessment areas could be ones that coaches and consultants could add to or maybe already have in their toolkit. Let me start with leg number one, and I want to refer to this leg as personality and style-based tools. And again, my orientation is focused not on organizations or teams, but at an individual level. So there is a continuum within this particular leg that style-based tools are a little bit less rigorously designed and developed. They may, in fact, have less research behind it. Even the theory and uh, the concepts behind it can be a little looser. But at the end of the day, they're trying to provide a language or a typology to give back to a client 
so they can do what I kindly refer to as organizational marriage counseling with others in their life. <laughs> so if you have your favorite nice. style-based tool, you know, whatever that may be, uh, from a disc to a FIRO-B to an MBTI to you know a dozen others that are out there that you really may, may like, strength deployment, inventory, et cetera, they have a typology. They'll have a language, a model that we can sit down with an individual and say, your responses to this seem to classify you into this particular language and model. And what we want to do is have you try it on and think about the extent to which um, you're accurate. And if so, um, great. And if not, maybe go get some data and feedback from others. Go check with others to say, gosh, does this resonate with your experience of me? And then we help that individual to say, well, using the same typology or model, let's go and play the game to say, what's your partner in life like? What's your boss like? What are your direct reports like? And where might there be similarities? Where, they, where might there be differences? And using, of course, that style-based assessment as a way in coaching and developing the individual to perhaps modify their approach to communication, leadership, decision-making. And on that continuum of rigor um, in the same leg is what I would classify as personality-based inventories. And there's been a great evolution over the last uh, 15, 18 years in personality. And today, um, most of the well-established personality inventories are backed by a concept called the Big Five or the five-factor personality model. So most of the vendors that are designing, developing, and validating those types of pretty rigorous personality inventories have all of the things that I mentioned earlier, very solid reliability, grab their manual, and all the different types of validity. And they're the ones that are often used and recommended to, to be used uh, for companies that are interested in incorporating a personality inventory into their selection, promotion, succession. And there's some pretty solid evidence that they provide both incremental validity, meaning they add value above and beyond interviews and other types of ways of predicting to the extent to which an employer or a leader will perform and behave in an organization. And uh, they seem to, to correlate pretty modestly. And, and the five factors, I won't go into any detail, um, are ones that most coaches and consultants, if they're using those tools, find of value. And with personality in general, one point I will make is that no matter what personality trait you want to throw out, in general, there's some pretty strong evidence that between maybe uh, 10 to 40% of that personality is genetically predetermined, meaning we have a set point around personality. So there's some pretty strong research studies using identical twins raised in very different environments, brought back 20, 30, 40 years later as a way that we can really take a look at where nurture and environment and parenting and schooling and all the uh, good stuff that shapes us, what role does that play versus just plain genetics? So we do find that personality has a very pretty strong genetic predisposition to it. That's point number one. And point number two I want to make is that um, increasingly we're finding with personality, if you were to try to use that to predict performance or effectiveness, with almost everything we're finding today, what we're really seeing is curvilinear, meaning high score can be desirable, but too high of a score actually seems to be getting in the way of high performance, high effectiveness. And the other end of that continuum is if you're scoring very low, 
uh, just about every personality quality, although there may be some desirable aspects to that. Again, we're finding a pretty strong link that performance doesn't improve and effectiveness doesn't improve. So that's leg number one. And there's lots of different tools out there, a lot of different vendors that have them. And for those of you listening today, we have, uh, like many vendors, uh, spent about 10 years developing a very validated and brief five-factor personality inventory that we actually give away for free. And it's called the Innate Index. It's an adjective-based measure of uh, the five factors of personality. And uh, you can actually go to a website and just register and take that for yourself or for clients if you're a coach or consultant. And just type in talent tools, so two T's and plural talenttools.org. When you get there, look for the innate index. And uh, like I say, it's a good way to sort of try on, uh, if you will, a personality more rigorously designed and developed and validated tool that might be of some interest and value. Yeah, this is great, Ken. And one of the things that I appreciate now that I know I didn't appreciate earlier in my career is there are, is a difference in validity and reliability and of some of these instruments and instruments like the Myers-Briggs type indicator and DISC and some of the other ones are not as based in the research and and some of the other things you've mentioned as the big five framework, as you mentioned. And that's, that is certainly emerging amongst researchers and psychologists as a, a very robust model. What's the indicator for a leader or an organization to utilize an assessment or a tool out of this first leg of personality and style? Well, I love your question. We actually have written a book called, uh, it's got a cute title called Clueless, Coaching People Who Just Don't Get It. We have a second edition. And the model behind the book says at the end of the day, if we want to get any individual, if they're a leader or non-leader, to change, there are the three necessary conditions that need to occur. And we've got some cute titles for these as well. And we refer to this as our Enlighten, Encourage, and Enable model. But Enlighten is the idea of how do I give you information via assessments, via feedback that will get your attention and get you to say, gosh, I didn't realize that my personality leans in this way, or or maybe I did. And I may be overusing that, causing havoc with my team. Or if we're using a 360, uh, again, it's comparing and contrasting your view of reality to your boss or your direct reports or colleagues or peers. And again, getting that aha to say, well, I thought I was listening very, you know, strongly or I was very participative in staff meetings, but it doesn't look like in terms of the data that you've enlightened me that I'm doing that as much as I, I'm doing. Or again, if we're using other kinds of uh, assessments, that would be the necessary condition to say, let's get your attention. We know that in and of itself is a necessary but not sufficient condition to want to do something with it. And then we move into the second stage, if you will, and it's kind of a readiness to change. And again, we use the language of encourage as the label for how do we get you up and move in that staircase of saying interesting to, yep, I really need to commit to modifying how I eat, working out more, not interrupting in meetings, not being authoritative, delegating more, not micromanaging. So again, think of that as a staircase from um, not really interested. Thanks for sharing the information. I am what I am. It's made me very successful to be in this style and use the personality that I have or to manage and lead in a manner that makes sense to, again, that uh, staircase that says, gosh, I, I really want to be effective and 
my guide dog data is sharing and illuminating a blind spot I didn't know about. And the last stage is important because we call this enable, and behavior change is pretty lonely on one's own, so we need to build environmental supports, how to nudge people uh, in a positive way to make their behavior goals pretty salient and and maintain that motivation. But uh, because of genetics, uh, the reality and the elephant in the room is we all have genetic set points around capabilities. So short story, I'll just illustrate. One of my dreams growing up was being born and raised in the Bay Area was to play professional baseball. And I was pretty good when I was younger. And in fact, I went to a non-scholarship school at UC Davis for my scholarship work and got an opportunity to play baseball my first year. And uh, Coach Swimley came over to me at the end of the year and said, Ken, we just love your attitude. We love how hard you practice. You're a solid player. But I think there may be something here on campus that's maybe even better for you for the next three years. And I kind of looked puzzled. wasn't too sure what the message was. And he said, Ken, we call it intramurals. And we both laughed. And and I knew what he was saying (laughs) to me in code, which is, you know, interest and awareness and efforts uh, only go so far. And it speaks to the second leg I'll bring up in a moment called skills and ability. So I had, in a polite way, reached my ability set point, and no amount of further practice or, or coaching is going to get me to that next level. Everyone was bigger, stronger, and better, and I could field with the best of them. Um, couldn't hit. So that, <laughs> that was the end of my professional baseball career, my illusions of that. So a long-winded answer, I think, to your question that assessments give us that perspective of enlightening, illuminating, can move people on a readiness ladder to say, yep get it, accept it, understand it, want to work on it. And then there's the realistic uh, set point that some of us just have the capability of becoming much more effective than the rest of us, like me, could be a solid intramural uh, baseball player for the rest of my life and you know, have a lot of fun, but in no way, shape, or form going to make it in the big leagues. What's the second leg? Second leg, well, let's talk about just what we are kind of covering right now, and that's skills and abilities. And at the end of the day, um, we find one point is that most of us aren't really accurate in determining how good we are at what we think we can do. So therefore, we need to have a little bit more objectivity around how to measure these things. So for example, I refer to these types of assessments as show-me assessments. And they would include pre-classic assessment center type of methodology for example, one of the assessments that we have, which has been around for a long time, we've modernized it, is taking the old in-basket, um, a time simulation where we overload you with data, put you into the role of a fictitious leader and just flood you with information. And we have you work for 90 minutes and actually respond to issues that come up related to supervision and management. Today, we do it online in the form of an email exercise but the point is you can't fake it. It's not a one to five or one to seven scale where you say, yeah, I have high energy interacting with other people. We get to really objectively measure, did you go through the email in order? Did you see the connection between email number three and email number 17? They're purposely put in that order to see whether you can make connections. Were you able with this exercise to solve problems rapidly Or did you say, gosh, with every one of these, I need to research and I'll get back to you later. So skills and abilities, again, have been 
a leg that we try to measure. Most coaches and consultants don't have really great tools to bring to an individual coaching gig or engagement unless they're using a 360 feedback. You can't easily put people into a day or multiple day assessment center or do simulations. Yet these are the ways that are more valid for really having people demonstrate or show, if you will, what they're doing. It gives you some fodder to say, okay, now who's the best fit here? That goes back to leg number three I want to talk about. With everything else being equal, what else is kind of an important leg to consider in coaching and training and consulting? Yeah. So what is leg number three? So it is a combination of interests and values and motives. And for most of us, they're pretty fluid until we reach late adolescent, early adulthood. So if any listeners here have young kids and you ask them, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Every day it changes. You know, I want to be an archaeologist today and then a psychic tomorrow and then a doctor on Saturday. And we go, okay, interesting. But when we get a little bit older, our interests and values and motives tend to become a little bit more solidified um, and become fairly stable for a large part of our life. And in general, there's not a lot of great adult assessments in this area. Uh, There's some classic ones we affiliate with school-based settings. They are used for adults as well. They're kind of general or or holistic measures of what you get off on, what you like. And we could do that through um, validated tests like the Strong Occupational Interest Inventory. We could use card sorts. But most commonly, we use interviews to say, um, hey, Dave, you know, tell me about what you enjoy and what your passions are and what you think you do well. We use that data um, and in our own way, categorize that to say, well, that, that's pretty good fit. But these are, in fact, in the old days, had a reputation of being pretty weak predictors of job performance. And today, we're really in reanalyzing the data, finding that asking specific interests and motives that tie back to the job that you're looking at actually are pretty fair at predicting actual performance on the job with the idea that we will often develop competence in things that we find uh, enjoyable. So again, there's a correlation. That doesn't mean there's a perfect fit. In general, interests and values and motives are very, very strongly correlated and are good predictors of satisfaction and engagement. So there are things that we all do in the world of work and life that we can say, I don't really get off on this, but I have to do it. And we may or may not be very good at it. But uh, nonetheless, it's part of our job responsibilities and job roles. But if that were 100% what we ask you to do every day, again, if you had the skill set to do it well, eventually you're going to wake up in the morning and say, this is not for me. This is not uh, an interest area. So an example is one of our career assessments also available at that talenttools.org, we have a validated free tool called the Career Profile Inventory. Hmm. And one of the scales it measures is a concept we call career path preference. And it won't tell you anything about how good you'll be or effective you'll be or how far you'll go in life, but it gives you a measure with the cluster of interests and values and motives what kind of career path would align to maximize your engagement and satisfaction? So two scales, just real example that um, we measure, there's four total. Um, one of them is called a managerial or leadership career path preference. It's people that get off on directing others and wanting to move in an, an organizational hierarchy, but 
the end of the day, the primary motive of these people is power. It doesn't have to be coercive, but they like the idea of creating a vision of a better tomorrow and getting people to follow them. They like directing. They like asserting. So they resonate with that. If you put them in a role, they tend to be proactive and are the first to open their mouth and say, hey, I got an idea. Why don't we do this or that? And the second career path preference are people that don't have any of that in their makeup. In fact, they love doing the same thing over and over and better and better. And when you might ask them, run into the street or sit next to them in place, hey, what do you do? They don't tell you what they do. They tell you who they are. Oh, I'm an attorney. I'm an engineer. I'm a fill in the blank. So those are people that stay in one occupational field or profession for many, many, many moons. And they're all about uh, being experts at uh, their craft. And we call these people independent contributors or specialists. The point I want to make is that they're wired differently. And when we look at clusters of interests and values and motives, we often find that people will tell us on this assessment and we measure where people are versus where they'd like to be. We'll look at folks that are in leadership roles and we find, you know, five to 15% will answer this particular assessment. And the cluster of interests and values and motives are the exact opposite of wanting to lead and direct and supervise. They really kind of got pushed up the organizational hierarchy because they were really good at what they did and the organization didn't really know what to do with them. And so they made the great suggestion of, why don't you become a leader? Mm -hmm. Maybe they were a nurse and a great nurse practitioner or registered nurse. And somebody teased them to say, hey, you've got great communication skills great influence skills. People really love you. Why do you think about nurse management? They go, okay. And again, the perks and benefits and uh, autonomy and control and all the good rewards we could send their way might prompt them to want to move into a more linear or managerial leadership role. But again, if we're doing coaching and consulting, those are the 5, 10, 15% of our clients that look us in the eye and go, you know, I can't stand the role I'm in. I'm not happy. And yet we'll come back and say, gosh, your performance is really good. I was hired to help you become even better. But their retort is, you got to listen to what I'm saying. I don't wake up every morning and really love going and dealing with discipline and going to meetings and handling finance and budgets. I liked working with the patient. I like doing my craft. And now I'm way behind because the half-life of nursing knowledge and technology and medicine is pretty short. And um, I'm behind the curve and feel bad about it. So again, long story to say that uh, interest, values, and motives are pretty good measures of fit. They're pretty good measures of satisfaction, engagement. And when they're specific to a job, it does tell us um, pretty strongly whether or not this will be a predictor of people doing well. And that distinction you made of what would align more with interests around like leadership and direction and control mm-hmm. versus as an inter- individual contributor, I know I didn't appreciate that as distinction earlier in my career and now realize the importance of seeing that. And so one thing I'm curious about under this is we have a lot of folks in our audience who are champions and have used a tools like StrengthsFinder and have used engagement mm-hmm, surveys. Mm-hmm. Does StrengthsFinder fall under this category? And is this useful for helping illuminate some of the interests, values, motives? Well, I think I got to go back again to the vendor that's peddling. There's numerous quote-unquote strengths-based tools. Most really fit into this classification of the leg of interest, values, and motives, but they appear and they're mislabeled as skills. 
So again, I have to go back to what, what tool are you being trained and what tool are you using? But the majority of them are truly getting at what are your core interests and values and what turns you on? And we translate to say, therefore, you'll be good at it. And that's one of the misuses of quote unquote interest inventories. We've seen this classically with, you know, youth to say, well, you really like math. That means you're going to be good at it. Well, you may or may not find a correlation between interest and like I say, and competence and ability. But together, we'd like to define that as a signature strength, things that you are in fact inherently able and capable of doing well, and you get off on. That would be the area I'd really want to encourage my client to pursue, whether it's a career or a hobby or any way to sharpen their saw. But again, at that, that box model, four box model of low or high skill, low or high in interest or motive is a very interesting one to sit down with clients. But I think, again, what you're referring to is the kind of the classic you know, Clifton and Gallup strength finder. Truly, they're much more around this leg of interest and values and motives than truly trying to measure, are you good at this? Do you have inherent capabilities or skills? Yeah. Well, that's a really helpful distinction. And one that I've appreciated about some of the career assessments before is that someone will take a career assessment. They'll say, oh, you know, I I should be a pilot. <laughs> right. And so right. I think what I'm hearing you say is what it's showing is that you your interests may be aligned or correlated with others out there who are pilots, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be a good pilot, right? We have no way of discerning your effectiveness, but it will say you share a commonality of loving to be independent and having a lot of people micromanage you and making decisions, having a little bit more high risk taking. So that's pretty common with people that seem to migrate to that type of occupation. And in classic careering, we would affiliate that with a particular quote unquote, we call it personality type. It's not like the MBTI, but we can in fact classify people's core personality to say these are folks that are fairly similar. So when we're sitting down with an adult or a young adolescent to say, let's think about the myriad of areas. If, for example, you really love working with your hands and you really like being outdoors, who are the people that are like you? And what are the kinds of occupations and fields that those attributes that seem to describe what you think you really get off on, should you look into? Whether or not you have the capabilities and skills that go within those roles, another question that goes back to the leg of skills and abilities, let's try to measure for that. So this is a real interesting you know, difference. And if in fact the quote-unquote strength-based tools are claiming to measure skills and ability, again, I go back to that leg to say that self-assessment of skills and ability weakly correlates with true skills and ability. Most of us don't know and aren't very accurate in rating and knowing what we do real well. And part of the power of using and getting value from assessments, both you're saying, and I, and I think I have this appreciation as well, is understanding limitations. Because if you understand the limitations of these, then they become really useful in the things that they actually are intended to illuminate. Well, there's so much here that we have not even begun to explore in this conversation. So two resources that are going to be really helpful to folks. One is the link you've mentioned a couple of times, Ken. I think that's going to be useful for almost everyone in our audience of being able to utilize some of these free tools you've made available in these different legs that folks can go utilize and get some additional perspective on. And then I'm also conscious of your main site, Envisia Learning, and there's a subset of our audience that 
is thinking about, wow, you know, I'd like to engage with you or folks in your organization about learning more about this or potentially uh, being helpful with some of these tools. Could you tell us a little bit about the links for both and, and what folks can expect if they get there? Yeah, again, the, the free validated tools we have is at uh, talenttools.org. And the three I've kind of alluded to, we have a free five-factor personality inventory called the Innate Index, a career tool that um, really is designed for working adults. So for those of you that are independent contributors, coaches, and consultants, it doesn't fit for you to take, but you can go through and take a look at the sample report. And the uh, concepts behind it would be quite powerful maybe to use with your clients. That's called the Career Profile Inventory. And the third one I mentioned that we're giving away is a subscale of our broader stress and uh, health risk appraisal published by Western Psychological Services, but it's called the Resilience Inventory. And our main website in visual learning, E-N-V-I-S-I-A learning.com, so you can find links to uh, any of those. And like I say, hopefully... What we've covered today gives you a little idea on just the background of these labels of reliability, validity, norming. And as you think about adding tools and assessments to your toolkit, going back to why am I using it, what's the purpose, and which tool or tools could add value in those different legs, knowing that each of them um, look at something a little bit different and at the end of the day could be added value for the right client wanting to uh, answer some specific questions. This is great, Ken. This will be of real value to our audience. I'm going to get all the links in our show notes, of course, and in this week's weekly leadership guide. Ken, this has been mm-hmm. fabulous. Thank you so much for your wisdom, your expertise. I uh, appreciate it a ton. Well, thanks, Dave. Appreciate being part of this. Like many of you, I've taken many of the assessments that we talked about in this conversation and have administered a number of them as well over the years. And I've heard varying stories and models and theories uh, over the years of how some of them relate to each other. But this is really the first time I've uh, been able to kind of put the whole picture together. Thank you, Ken, for the perspective that you've given us and your expertise. I'm going to be including all the links that he mentioned or assessments on his site here in the notes, and those will go out in the weekly leadership guide as well. Hey, if you know a leader who is utilizing assessments right now, uh, either one or a number of them, or maybe trying to make some decisions about assessments, there's a great episode to pass along to them. Thanks in advance if you do. A few related episodes to today's conversation. Way back on episode 44, I had Susan Kane on. She talked about the power of introverts. We featured her book, Quiet, the power of introverts in a world that can't stop talking. Of course, we talked about the dichotomy of extroversion and introversion in that episode. And if you go back and listen to episode 44, you'll also find the next several episodes really dive in on some of the dichotomies that are featured in one of the assessments we talked about today, the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, episode 43. And then 45, 46, and 47 all go into those different dichotomies. That will be helpful to you if you're looking for some more perspective on personality, especially around MBTI. For those of you who want to do a deeper dive on StrengthsFinder, one of the assessments we talked about, Lisa Cummings is one of the top experts out there 
on Strengths Finder and how to utilize it well for your team. That was the topic of episode 293, Leverage Strengths Finder for Your Team. Lisa walked us through how to utilize the tool and more importantly, what to do with it. A lot of uh, folks have used Strengths Finder, or or should I say, a lot of folks have administered Strengths Finder. A lot of people know their top strengths. And yet the stopping point is often, well, what, uh, if any change, does that actually uh, precipitate in the team and in the organization? And that's where often StrengthsFinder falls short if you haven't really then taken that data and done something with it. And Lisa provides a great model for actually how to practically get some results from it. Also, I would recommend episode 341. Tom Henschel was on that episode and talked about how to leverage your 360. If you are getting a 360, have had a 360, or perhaps you're involved in someone in your organization that is going through a 360 right now, that is a must-listen episode. You'll hear a lot of wisdom from Tom on that episode on what he's done over the years as an executive coach to administer 360s and some of the thinking that'll be helpful to you if you find yourself in that situation. And of course, all of those episodes available to you on the free membership. If you haven't already set up your free membership on coachingforleaders.com, you're missing out because you can search all of the archives from 2011 on every topic, including the topic of assessments. We've done a number of episodes relating to assessments, including the ones I've mentioned here today. So set up your free membership for access to all of that. Just go to coachingforleaders.com to activate it. You'll also get access to the weekly leadership guide, which will include all the links from this episode this coming Wednesday, plus the member cast, my personal library, and a ton more that's in the free membership portal. Go to coachingforleaders.com. You'll get access to all that, including my free audio course. Have a fabulous week, and I look forward to our next conversation on leadership next Monday. Take care, everybody.